0: Good morning. Well, uh, this is the wrong stand. I, got, I almost got confused there for a second. Uh, well, it truly is an honor to be up here speaking this morning. And uh, for those of you that maybe are unfamiliar with who I am, my name is Jeremiah. And I've been going to this church for about, for close to 15 years. And I've uh, just been involved in, in some of the different ministries from the little kids all the way on up to uh, the big kids, the college age group. Uh, and I've loved every second of being here, um, God has just, uh, in so many ways changed my life through my experiences with, uh, with the youth and just with the people in this church, um, what an incredible ride it has been. And, uh, I, you know, I got to thinking as I was writing out my sermon for today, uh, I I thought about the first time I ever got up and spoke in front of the church and, uh, I don't know if maybe some of you were here, but it was next door in the small building and, uh, what they did is they, they, there were four of us and my sister was one of them and they, they gave us maybe like 15 minutes to speak. And, and so, you know, it was an honor because they, they put us with Pastor Bob and uh, he kind of went through everything with us, had us pick out a verse. And and just kind of put our sermon together. And one day we had to share with him uh, or just do it in front of him. And I was really nervous. But I thought, you know, I got this thing. I'm going to deliver it. And uh, and so we were downstairs in the youth building and I was just I was I was delivering it. And I felt good about myself just going for it. And all of a sudden in the middle of it, I'm you know, I'm, I'm concentrated. This bowling pin just goes flying right by my head. And, and I stopped and I was just kind of taken back. And I was like, what in the world was that? And Pastor Bob was like, why did you stop? And I was like, because uh, a bowling pin was flying at my head. I don't know. And uh, he was like, so are you going to stop when a baby starts crying or when there's any other distractions? And I was like, no, but I'll probably stop if a bowling pin is flying at my head. <laughs> so uh, it was an honor to work with him. That, that man is a legend. He, uh, he has inspired me in so many ways. And uh, an amazing preacher. And just a man of God. His life really definitely is the foundation for his words. Um, that he speaks. Uh, I, you know, I have to be honest with you. Um, when I heard that I was preaching today, I was kind of excited because I thought I was going to be following Todd. And so my thinking was, is you know, I could preach for two hours and everybody would be excited that we're getting out early. You know, <laughs> but uh, I I have to follow Dave Beatty, who is not only an incredible teacher, um, but he's he's the man with the fastest sermon this side of the Mississippi. He he literally. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I've already gone over my time in comparison to him, so, Dave. But uh, I just appreciate being up here and just being able to share with you this morning. Um, and I'm going to actually start off by reading a verse. In the first chapter of John, um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Verse 43. I thought, you know, this this may be a strange verse to kind of start off with. Um, but I read this verse actually a while ago when I was kind of doing the college group and and ever since it has just kind of stuck with me. Because I really love just this scene. It's it's Jesus is starting out his ministry and he's calling his disciples and and they're excited, you can tell just, you know, from their words and and they're scrambling about to share with their friends that they're they're they want to show people who Jesus is. And so here, you know, Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, you know, I, I think we found the Messiah. And 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 I, and um, Nathaniel uh, or Philip, I'm sorry, Nathaniel responds, Can anything good come of Nazareth? And I love Philip's response. He says, Come and see. There's no explanation. There's no defense. Saying, Of course, there's good things that come from Nazareth. There's this and this and this. He just says, If you want to know if what I say is true, come and see. Come and check it out for yourself, and you'll know. Well, this morning, what I would like to do is, with this passage is I would like to extend that same invitation to come and see. I want to invite you into my story and into my life for the purpose of showing you who God is and what He has done, not only in my life, but in the lives of those that I love the most, my family. Uh, Ever since I gave my life to Christ about 13 years ago, uh, He has done amazing things in my life, uh, things that I never thought would happen. And I am the person today... That I never thought I would be, and it's all a result of God. Um, but specifically, maybe in the last year, He has uh, done wonderful things within my family. And I, you know, the moment they asked me to preach, instantly I knew what I wanted to share about. I wanted to share about what God is doing in my life because it's exciting. And my hope this morning is that as as you step into my story and you see our lives that it will inspire you. And for those of you out there that maybe you're at a place where you're, you're kind of looking or, or you're at a point where you're like, man, I, I need something more in my life, that this will be an encouragement to you to spur you on. And for the rest of us, my prayer is, is that, that in, in seeing my story, that we will be inspired to go out and to look within our own stories and to allow God to come in and transform them so that we can go out and say, come and see what God is doing in our lives. With that said, why don't we open up with a word of prayer. Father, we come before You with open hearts and we just pray that um, You just reveal Yourself today. Speak through my words, Lord. And just show Yourself that You are alive, that You want to come into our lives, our stories, and transform us. Father, we just give this time to You. In Your name we pray. Amen. I want to read a quote with you or for you really quickly. This comes from the book To Be Told, and it's by Dan Allender. It says this, Will I receive from the wounded hands my day's portion of story? And will I bring my tears and battered questions for him to engage? Will I bring my story to the gospel and cry out for him to answer? Will I, will I offer my life, or will I offer my broken story as a gift to others to taste and see that God is both odd and good? If I will do this, then the gift that I receive will stagger me. God's story will be my own. Your story will be mine, mine will be yours, and we all will be His. I love that quote. When I was, uh, when I was younger in elementary school, um, I, I remember this story it was a day and, and my sister and my brother's not here but my sister should remember this story too but there was a day that it snowed significantly and I thought that it was going to be a snow day you know every kid wishes when it snows outside that they'll they'll cancel school but unfortunately it was just a late start and so as we were getting ready uh, my buddies called me up and, and they're like you know you have to see if your mom will let you stay home because all of us are staying home our parents are letting us stay home so you know see if you can we're going to just play outside all day and go sledding And so I talked to my older sister, and I said, well, let's just call mom and see if she lets us stay home. And and so I gave her a call, and and she didn't budge. You know, it was, you know, you're going to school. If they have school, then you're going to go. You know, I don't care how deep the snow is, um, but you're going to make it, you know. And and so we tried, and we tried, and we tried, but to no avail. It it didn't happen. Um, And so after hanging up the phone, uh, being the obedient children that we were, we decided to stay home. And... (laughs) I, I think I made the executive decision on that one. Uh, but we decided to stay home. So we got our snow stuff on and we run outside and, and we're, we're building snowmen and, and uh, you know throwing the snowballs, just having a good old time and sledding. And I remember at one particular point, my buddy's getting ready to push me down the street. You know, we lived on this big hill on the sled. And all of a sudden, guess who comes turning around the corner? It's my mom, and, and she clearly sees us out playing in the yard. But you know, doing what every kid does when they know they're going to get in trouble, we run and hide. Uh, all three of us, me and my brother and my sister, jump in the neighbor's window well. I don't know why, but that that was the nearest place. And we start talking. We're like, well, maybe maybe mom didn't really see us. Maybe you know, if we don't show up, she'll think that we really did go to school or something. Um, yeah, I don't know why I thought that. Um, so we sat there for a little while, and I, I remember she called out, and we never responded. And finally, we're like, we've got to figure something out because, you know, if we don't, she's going to tell Dad. And when Mom tells Dad, that's when we know we're in big trouble. And so we're trying to figure things out. And finally, I turned to my sister and said, you know what? We can't get in trouble if we're not at home. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, why don't we run away, you know? <laughs> and so my idea is that, hey, we'll run away and we'll run down to Castle Rock and live with my grandma. You know, and we lived in Aurora at the time, so that... So I had this great idea, and she's like, eh, I don't know, and it's like, fine, you can stay here and get in trouble, I'm out of here. And so she decided, you know, she gave in, and my little brother, he really had no say in anything, he just kind of did whatever we told him to do. So he followed along, and we, we snuck in the house and loaded up these big black trash bags and, and started walking. And uh, we were feeling good at first, but then, you know, after a while, you know, probably about a quarter mile, uh, you know, feet start getting cold, it's late afternoon, and so it's getting a little chilly. And my sister turns to me, and she's like, you know, this is crazy, you know, let's just go back. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And I thought, what are you talking about? You know, you realize it's going to happen. We're almost there. (laughs) And in my head, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, let's go back as it's freezing. So we ended up going back. And uh, when we walked through the door, uh, my mom, who I I think did this this typical parent thing where, you know, they freak out when you're not there and they're calling 911. But when you walk through the door, they pretend that nothing's happening. And it's like, oh, hey, guys, where you guys been? Oh, we've just been running away oh, that's good, why don't you go to your room and wait for your father to get home? Uh, <laughs> so we got in trouble, and that's just one of the, the stories that, you know from my childhood that I remember that I wanted to share. Um, I bought this book about a little over a year ago, and um, ever since I picked it up, I haven't been able to put it down because it has had such a profound influence on my life and just a huge impact on, I believe, my family as well. Um, Dan Allender, from the moment you start reading his pages, he challenges you to look at your story. That's what he, you know, the analogy he uses for our lives. He says, look at your story. And, and so he challenged me to look at mine, to look back into my past and, and to, to see all the events and the characters and the, and the tragedies and the triumphs and the joys and the sorrows that made me into the person that I am today. And the purpose of doing so is not to dwell on it or, or to sulk but so that we can understand that our paths, uh, or in the past, no matter you know, whether or not we like it, are a part of who we are. And it's a part of finding peace with that, so that we can move forward and allow God to do what Dan Ellender calls is to, is to write a good ending to our story. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do that, and so I, I wrote a lot of stuff out. And as you can imagine, there were a lot of good memories that I had, like the one I just shared with you. But there were also it was also difficult at times because when you just explore your life and, and you kind of, you know, dig up the dirt a little bit, you realize that there's feelings there that, you know, you've kept buried for so long or experiences or wounds and scars. So there were times that it was difficult for me, um, but nonetheless, it was very refreshing. And the whole experience was absolutely incredible, life-changing, I think, altering for myself. Well, one day I was so excited, you know, about what God was doing in my life through this this book that I decided, you know, I'm going to call my mom and just share with her all the, you know, the cool things that, you know, I'm reading in this book. And, uh, and right as I was picking up my phone, I just felt God sharing with me. He said, you know, maybe instead of um, sharing with her the things that you've experienced, why don't you invite her and the rest of your family into the experience with you? And at first I thought, well, that's, you know, that's kind of weird. I don't know if they're going to want to talk and you know, get together and do all this stuff. You know, It's a lot of work. But eventually I just thought, you know what, God? If you really want to make our story uh, into what it should be and this is what it's going to take, then I'll do it. And so I called her up and, and explained to her the idea. And sure enough, within about a month, we were sitting in her basement. And I will never, ever, ever forget that night. Um, it was just a powerful night for me and I just believe for our family. Um, and words cannot express, I think, just the emotions and just the conversation um, that ensued that night. Um, and you have to understand that uh, for many families, opening up like this is is normal. You know, some of you go home and after church, you just this is just part of your everyday life. But for us, you know, we weren't necessarily that, you know, sit around the campfire, mushy-gushy, you know, um, sentimental family. I mean, we did share and talk a lot. Um, but not in this sense. And so that's what made it so powerful, is that God just opened that door for us. And we were able to to kind of look back at our past and, and laugh about a lot of stories, but at the same time just, you know, come to terms with who we are as a family. And as I walked away that night, I didn't walk away just feeling like, oh, great. I walked away just feeling like we had a renewed sense of who we were as a family and who we wanted to be. And more importantly, and this is to me what made it such a God thing is that um, I just felt for the first time in my own life that we as a family were not chained by our past anymore. You know, many families they you know we all go through struggles. That's just part of being a family and being in relationships. But the sad thing is a lot of times we let a lot of those the struggles that we go through separate us and, and divide us, even until death. And that's unfortunate. And so as I walked away that night, I just I felt like, I don't feel like that the past controls me anymore, or controls us. But that we are free to move forward, and that's what God has done with us ever since, I believe. There's, he's done incredible things in my family. Um, as I've said, in my own life, He's changed a lot of things. Um, specifically in my mother and father, who I'm so thankful are here today. Um, I am very proud of both of you, extremely proud. Um, you have both shown me what it just means to be true parents, and what it means to live in a marriage, and to love each other no matter what. And I, you know, I they have blown me away in these last few months. Um, and specifically, my father, you know, you dad, you have in these last few months, my whole life you've been an incredible teacher, and just an incredible father. But in these last few months, um, you have taught me what it means to be a man, and I can honestly stand up here and say that he is my hero, because he has changed my life in so many ways. And that's just, you know, because of God and what He has done in our lives. I'm proud of my sister, my older sister and all the things that she's had to overcome and my brother you guys know my brother man he's he's the man and but probably the the greatest story in our family is is my little sister and she can't be here with us um today and i'm really happy you know there's i know that i'm crying but there's her life you know what god has brought her through is incredible and right now she's in tennessee and she is in a program called mercy and mercy is for um, young girls who have just struggled with different things in their life, whether it be, you know, just depression, um, suicide, um, different eating disorders. And so by choice, she wanted to go down there because she just felt that God was calling her to go down there to heal. And so I called, her, you know, I called her up and I said, Will you write a letter And just so I can share with people what God is doing in your life? And I can't share the whole thing, obviously, for time reasons, but... Um, I will share with you what some of the things that she wrote she says this at the age of 12 um, began seven long years of a lonely torment from the enemy beginning with self-mutilation in the 8th grade this was my drug I couldn't go a week sometimes a day without it this lasted until junior year of high school as I started withdrawing from cutting knowing and feeling that I was looked down upon and heard over and over how selfish I was for doing such a thing it was during this time as well that I looked for comfort in men lying and living a double life in order to quench the longings of wanting to be loved and accepted letting go of who I was and what I stood for I was controlled by the lies your burden you're not important you're filthy if you died no one would care self-hatred of my body personality and lack of faith drove me to suicide I talked about death constantly thinking of ways to kill myself which led to a few attempts till finally in April of '07, I overdosed as a family we were very fortunate that she made it through this is what she later goes on to write God made it clear in my heart He wasn't going to let me die and He wanted me to have the life He had died for life more abundant. It baffles me why he should love such a sinner, but I lack nothing because of his freely given grace. I lived my life by the law and not my faith in him who, in who he is, which is love. The book God's Pursuit of Man by A.W. Tozier sums up perfectly where I'm at. He says this, They to whom the word comes in power know this deliverance, this inward migration of the soul from slavery to freedom. This release from moral position. A real crossing over. And they stand consciously on another soil, under another sky and breathe another air. Their life motives are changed and their inward drives made new. She later writes, Praise God, hallelujah, for the family we have. And that I was blessed with, a higher, um, with brothers who made me reach for a higher bar and kept the love of God ever so present in my life in dark and lonely times. Every week um, that we talk to my sister, can't get a word in because she is so excited in life and about God. I've never seen her so excited since I've known her. And she came from the depths, as you can see. And I am very proud of her and, and, and just how far God has brought her and what He's doing in her life. Those are some of the things that God is doing in my life. And I know that as I share these things, and I've, as I shared it with, with people, many have come to me and said, you know, well, that's great, and that's a good story of your family, but you don't understand. You don't understand me, and you don't understand the people that I live with, and, and the people and where I've been, and the things that I've been through. You don't see my scars. You don't see the betrayal that's happened in my life, and, and the emptiness or the loneliness that I live in day in and day out. And you know what I say? I say, you're right. I don't. And I don't presume to stand up here and and pretend that I do or to belittle anyone's struggles because I know people have been through terrible things. But let me tell you what I do know and know with a fact. God knows. God knows our struggles. He knows our stories. And as a matter of fact, He knows our stories better than we know them. He knows every twist and turn that I've taken to be where I'm at today. And He knows the turn that I need to take to get to where I need to go. God knows our stories and I know that for a fact. God understands. When you cry out in anguish, in loneliness and despair, He understands because He sees the evil forces that drive us to do the things that we do. He sees the pain inside of us that causes us to make sometimes the decisions that we do. He understands, this I know. God sees. He sees everything. He has seen our past. He has seen the things that others have done to us to steal away our joy, our love, our comfort. And He has seen the things that we've done to others. God feels. Not only do we serve a God that understands us, but He feels our pain. In Christ, we have one that has suffered with us, has come alongside of us, and knows our pain. How incredible that we serve a God who feels. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know I'm uh, what I'm going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. Your place, your hand of blessing. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. There's more. Not only does God understand and see and know and feel, but more importantly, God heals. God steps into our stories. And He takes those parts of us that are broken, that are wounded, and He heals them. He takes those parts of our lives that are dead, that maybe others have killed in us, and He brings them life. He takes those areas that have been stolen and He gives them back. He forgives where we need forgiveness, and He helps us to forgive those who have wronged us. As we talk about these things and as we discuss our God let me ask you this do you believe do you believe that God has the power to come into your story and transform your life and the reason I ask that is because in all my years in working in the church I've discovered something I've discovered that there are many people especially Christians out there who for many many years have struggled with anger with bitterness depression loneliness sorrow And they continue to struggle with these things. And it's not because God is uncompassionate or it's not because He's incapable. It's not because He doesn't have the desire to heal. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We have a book here that tells us how willing God is, how compassionate He is, and how capable He is, and how much He wants to come into our lives. No, they struggle because they don't believe. And the ironic thing about it all is that these same people, they'll tell you without hesitation that they believe that God created the universe. He set the stars in place and He created the world and everything in it. And out of the dust, He created man. They'll tell you that they believe in this and that, and that everything that God did, that He parted the sea and that He led nations out of other nations and that He sent His Son to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead. They'll tell you they believe all these things but it's these same people that don't believe that God can come into their heart and change their life they don't believe in the power that he has to heal so I ask do we believe as we walk out these doors and we see these mountains and the beautiful scenery that God has blessed us with the God who has power to create with one word do we believe that he has the power to transform our story we have faith? And I know it's a struggle. It's not always easy. But maybe as another encouragement, I'd like to share another story. Uh, a little under eight years ago, um, I married my wonderful wife, who is down here with my beautiful daughter. Um, and in marrying her, I married into her story. And let me tell you, talk about a family with a story. Um, they are incredible. Uh, an incredible family. And... Um, I can just say that I've learned so much but they to me define resilience this family does Um, and I am blessed to be a part of this family Um, last August my father-in-law Steve who's with us today um, was released from prison 23 years uh, in prison and uh, I'm just going to share this because I won't get a chance afterwards but the funny part of it is if there's any funny part is that 23 years this guy's been in prison and we're going to pick him up and uh, good old Jeremiah decides that he wants to get a ticket, you know. So uh, we, I get pulled over, and, and we're like 15, 20 minutes late. This guy's waited 23 years, and, and I made him wait another 15, 20 minutes. So it was, he tells it so much better than I do, because um, <laughs> it was him. <laughs> but anyway, he was released from prison, and uh, I asked him this morning if he would just share part of his story. So why don't we take a listen?
1: When I was 16 years old, maybe 15... Uh, it was during the sixties, and of course, it was the hippie days, the love and peace days and and myself and many of my friends got involved in in the drug scene and for me it was um, it was over my head right away and and i was I got involved with uh, methamphetamine uh in a real bad way. Things continually got worse and as the years marched on and the many times I'd try to quit and reform myself and give the drugs up, uh, I'd fail and things would get worse. The violence became worse, the the involvement with the drugs, with manufacturing methamphetamine, um, with just all kinds of crime, um, it just got worse and worse and worse. Now in 1984, I went to prison the first time um, uh, for a, for a, a term of five years, and during that time, uh, I was um, I was in such a bad state that that the first county jail I was at, um, the guys in the jail would would wake me up about every two or three days and they they'd say hey uh, you might want to get up get up and eat something you've been asleep for two or three days and and maybe you better eat so i'd get up and, and and i'd eat a little bit of something and go right back and go to sleep again because i was just so unhealthy and just such a mess one of the times i was awake i saw some people walk into the jail and And even though I I didn't really know what was going on, I think I, it was the Bible that one of them was carrying that made me, in my mind, think, oh, these are, these are Christians or, or church people. And then I nodded off again, and then the next thing I know, the next thing I know, I'm on my knees, um, and the next thing i know i'm on my knees before these people asking christ in my life and um and even though i was reading scripture and i claimed to be a christian i still have it, had every intention of going back out into the life and and um when i finally got out again and i did go back into the life um, i had read enough scripture and and i knew enough to know that, that 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 i was experiencing a folly that that would only end one way and and it certainly did end in the way i anticipated so i after five years in prison, I was out for for about eleven months and then, in September of nineteen ninety um, I was rearrested and um, and that ended in a in a twenty year prison sentence again with the federal government about one year after I was locked up on this first on this second sentence um, my my younger brother got in a severe car accident and and uh, I called home from the prison one morning and, and my older brother said uh, told me what happened and he said uh, his brain is swelling he, he fell into a coma and he said if, if if blood starts entering the brain stem we'll probably lose him and And so in prison you have no privacy and there's only one there's only one private place and that's the shower so I went into the showers and 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 I wept and I prayed and um, I just knew the Lord was hearing me you know and I didn't know what it meant not that I I felt it I, I just knew that he was hearing my voice and and um so I left, and I went on to work and and um sometime in that afternoon, an hour or two had gone by and and I received the only phone call I've ever gotten in in twenty three years of prison, and the phone rang, and my boss handed me the phone, and he said. He said, it's for you. And you you just don't get phone calls in prison. It just doesn't happen. And it was the lady at the front of the prison. And she said, uh, somebody called here and left this message. And... Message was just the opposite of what I expected. And the voice said, Your little brother woke up. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord had just revealed Himself to me and. I knew that God lives and that He's there. So, um, so my life from that point changed, and and um, um, I was totally sold out to the Lord. and And even though it took me years and years to to even begin to mature into a person that that really would be even the slightest bit recognized as a Christian in that environment, um, the Lord was working inside of me. And and um, all I really wanted to do was get out and try to be a dad to my children and grandchildren. And so, even to this day, um, it is so humbling that... The Lord will bless so incredibly despite what we were. And um, uh, there's a quote by, uh, I think it's Blaise Pascal that says, um, that says there in our own darkness, when we thought finally to have escaped him, we run right into his arms. And that quote is very true of me. And, and in my deepest, worst moments, when I thought I'd escaped everything, that, that's where I met Christ. And um He's, he's never let go of me. So that... That's where I stand today, just so overwhelmed with with his goodness that when Paul speaks in the Scriptures and he talks about he who is able to bless exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask, it's true.
0: In the, uh, in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, in the beginning, John tells us a story about a woman who one day goes out to get some water. And this woman um, has a shady reputation, which is probably why she's walking alone in the middle of the day, to get water by herself. And so as she approaches the well and as she's getting her water um, Jesus comes along with his disciples, and as he sends them off to go get something to eat, uh, he engages this woman in conversation. And Jesus is incredible, the way that he can just work with people, and the way that he speaks with them, and just understands lives. In the course of this conversation, um, he he reveals her life, the reality of her life to her. He brings her face to face with it. Her decisions in the past, the fact that she had multiple partners, her, the current state of her heart, and her future possibilities. When all is said and done, she's changed. We see a new woman. And she's so excited that here's what John writes it says this that the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone listen to this come and see a man who told me everything I, I ever did. Could He possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see Him. Further down, John writes, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see Him, they begged Him to stay in their village. So He stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear His message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what You told us, but because we have heard Him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus' words, His message transformed her life as it has many of us. And all she could do, her only reaction, is to just drop what she had and to run back and say, Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And that is our message this morning, my message. Come and see a Savior who knows everything that I did, who took this insecure little punk and transformed his life. Come and see a Savior who came into a man's life who had just reached the depths and thought he was so far away and yet grabbed a hold of his heart in his darkest moment and brought him home. Come and see a man who took a young girl who was just hated herself. Everything about it, who could only think of death and yet brought her life in a new sense of hope. Come and see a man who knows everything we've done. As we close, let me ask you, are we willing to allow God to come into our stories and to transform us? It's not an easy process and that's why a lot of us would just rather, we'd rather not do it. Because there's pain involved. We have to make peace with things in order to move forward. But I guarantee you, what, is, what lies ahead, Paul says, is so much greater than what's behind. Are we willing to allow Him to come in and to do those things into our lives and to transform us? And for those of us that have been transformed or are being transformed, are we then willing to take our stories out to those who may not know our God and say, come and see. Come and see a man who knows everything about us and who has loved us in spite of everything. And to this day, it continues to love us. Will we share? And can we be a church whose messages come and see? What I'd like to do is, I would like to just close with a chorus with all of you. And, and as we sing, I'm going to ask, if you'd like, you can actually do whatever you want, but I'd ask that we all just stand and sing together. And, and it's a simple chorus. Um, and I don't know, as we sing it, just I just ask that you just pray whether that be for yourself and for your own story and maybe, you know, there's so many things that now you're, you're saying that God wants to do and that He can do. Or maybe it's for someone that you know, a loved one that you just really feel could use just a little bit of God right now. If we could stand. Check. Check. Above all, I would just like to let this be our prayer to God of how incredible He is. He is amazing. And I hope that our lives have been proof of that. Not that, again, anything is perfect in our lives. We are not perfect people. But God has worked, and we want to share what He's done in our life, in our family.
2: great is our God, and oh, we'll see how great, how great. God is all we'll see how great how great is our God Father God you are amazing
0: you come into our stories and you step alongside of us and you help us Write and rewrite and correct and change. And so we come closer to you. Lord God, I just pray that for those in here who are maybe looking at their story and just saying, I've kind of had enough, may you just come into their hearts and give them the faith to believe that you have the power to transform the hardest of hearts the most stubborn of souls. Father, for those of us that have tasted Your presence, may we run out to those who are hurting and just say, come and see a God who is amazing, whose name is above all names. We thank You. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Thank you.